What is the Cavaliers' timeline with Donovan Mitchell? Should they even think about what the future could look like without him right now? Plus, Austin Rivers sounds off on Damian Lillard and the new CBA. And a lot of news. The Hornets have new owners. TJ McConnell coveted by the Suns and more on the Mavs and the Pistons. We'll get to it all today on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, y'all? Happy Tuesday. Welcome into another edition of Locked On NBA, where you get the latest and greatest from around the association. I'm Tony East, one of the hosts of Locked On Pacers. He's David Ramil, one of the hosts of Locked On Heat. And it's a surprisingly busy day early in the week. The Hornets got sold. Damian Lillard in the news cycle again, thanks to Austin Rivers, but actually some insightful comments from Rivers. And... What we will be leading off with today, the Cavs, Donovan Mitchell. What does their future look like? Some interesting comments from the Hoop Collective about what the future could look like in Cleveland. And we start there because there was some speculation. Tim Bontemps talking with Tim McMahon and Brian Winhorst on the Hoop Collective, one of ESPN's many NBA podcasts about the Cavs and their future and their good summer. And one of them suggested maybe the Cavs should think about trading Donovan Mitchell right now because he's got an interesting summer Coming up, he's extension eligible just before the season starts. He has two years left on his deal before player option. If he's not going to return to Cleveland, will he ever have this much trade value was the premise. But he's really good, and the Cavs are really good. David, if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, how do you manage this situation? I keep him, obviously. I I think it's just so silly uh, that we're already speculating about a player that may or may not want a larger market in order to showcase his talents, but hasn't requested a trade, doesn't seem like he's unhappy. You just acquired him a year ago, and while you may have had an underwhelming postseason performance, that's not to say that this team that did improve this offseason and has things that they can build off of last season and has another year of chemistry, of working together, of figuring out each other's roles, etc., there's still optimism, and I don't see any reason why you would consider trading him this year. If you're going to have that discussion at all, my thought process is probably that's at least a year away. And even then I would be hesitant to do so because yes, you're the Cleveland Cavaliers. You're not likely to trade or acquire another player uh, of that kind of magnitude anytime soon. You're not going to lure anybody via free agency. It doesn't seem like it's likely that you're going to be able to have as talented a roster for anytime soon, but why not give it a chance? Why not see if that team can work together? This isn't a disgruntled superstar in Dame Lillard whose team let him down. This isn't James Harden asking for his third trade in as many years. This is Donovan Mitchell. You know, he didn't even request a trade out of the Utah Jazz, although it was clear that they had entered into a rebuilding phase that didn't include him whatsoever. And so they traded him to Cleveland. And and I think it has to work. I think we're we're all guilty of speculating a little bit. I know we certainly do it on our show. We, we look ahead to the next available superstar, but I don't think Mitchell is that next available superstar. I don't think he's unhappy there. And yes, it could all wind up backfiring Cleveland two years from now if he winds up signing with the New York Knicks, but that's two years from now. A lot can happen in between now and then. Yeah, the this will be definitely a later topic of the offseason, right? He signed his contract extension with the Jazz in the COVID year 2020. I always forget how the dates line up when the calendar for the league was different. But at some nebulous date before the season starts, he's eligible for a contract extension. And when that day comes, of course, he may, may or may not sign it. They were speculating that he wouldn't. And then that'll be a question 
for the entire Cavs season. You know, hey, are you going to sign this? Would you do it next year? What's that going to look like? Because he has a player option after not the coming season, but the one after that. So it's only two years left. So their their discussion about the reasoning for do it is he'll never have a higher trade value than now. And the next year, the, the word rental will be included in any discussions and that value goes way down. And I get that. But I also think that they had a great offseason to me. I don't know how you feel about it, but they needed shooting so bad. I mean, they were just running into the, the most clogged paint ever in that Knicks series. And they, you know, and I think they only cracked 100 points once in the five games. I'd have to look again. Like, they couldn't score. So they got Max Struess, who can shoot, and Georges Yang, who can shoot. And they have limits, but that's, like, exactly what they needed. And their core talent, like Mitchell's young. Garland is really young. Evan Mobley's really young. Jared Allen's pretty young. Should all yep. be, in theory, at worst, the same level player, if not better, next year. Like, their top six, seven, eight guys are really good. They were the fourth seed. Like, they should be very threatening. Like, you don't. I don't think you throw that away, especially for your only good non-LeBron team since my my whole life, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like you, you have. To, I think you have to go for it. If, I, I get the argument, like late-ish in his deal because of that player option in there, but I don't even think you think about it. You just, like you said, you just got him a year ago. He'll still have solid trade value next year. If it does, if things maybe aren't working out by the trade deadline after that, sure you think about it because you know Garland and Mobley are so good that you'll still be ascending. But I just don't – I you know, they're in such a good spot. They clearly had a summer where they built around him and had him in mind that I just don't even think you humor it right now. I, I, I've got a cop to this, and I'm – you know, I, I want your perspective on it, being that you cover Indiana. You, you, you were raised there. You grew up a Pacers fan, I'm going to imagine. I, maybe I'm just a, a, a coastal elite, as I was called by Locked On Cavs host Chris Manning. Uh, maybe it's just because I come from big market Miami, even though that's not really a big market and it hasn't been for a long time. But in any case, like I, I just the concern of losing him for nothing. Is it really that daunting when you cover a small team to wonder whether or not you have a superstar level player like Mitchell or in your case, like Tyrese Halliburton and whether or not you're going to lose said player for nothing? I know you were there during the Paul George era when it would seem like a given that he was going to be leaving the Pacers at that point in time. Is that really that much of a fear that you have to start considering two years early when you're looking to win a potential championship this year, however unlikely that may be, or that you can contend this year and next year while he's still under contract and you still have to already start thinking about, well, we're probably going to lose him for nothing in a couple of seasons when he exercises that player option. Is, is that is that what really drives the mentality of these front offices? I think that even big market teams have that fear about just like losing good things for nothing. Yeah. Honestly, like is yeah. Toronto the Sixers? I don't know what you view? Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Look at the Sixers. Let me look at the Sixers. Like right now, they're already con- they're trading away James Harden. They traded away Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid might be a New York Nick. Everybody might be a New York Nick somehow. <laughs> uh, so I, I think it's like it really has maybe it doesn't have as much to do with little market, small or big market, etc. No, I don't think I, it has just, to do with market size at all. But I do okay. think the different the difference is like you know, again, I don't know if I consider Miami a big market, but it's like it's attractive. You know, people want to play there. So like you can lose a star, and then Jimmy Butler's like, I want to play there, and then you can sign and trade for him in a way that you know the Cavs can't if they trade away Donovan Mitchell. That option, like yeah, they could get some assets, but if they lose him for nothing, it's going to be really hard to have that situation fall in their laps. Like it requires a superstar being from that place. Usually unlike some of these more attractive cities, I won't say big markets. I don't like that phrasing, but more attractive cities is the, is the terms I will use. That's what I think. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it seems like it, the league is going away from that. And I think 
I mean, players sign with. Well, with I think with free agency markets. just being gone anyway, that is a factor of that too. Yes. So yeah, so I wonder. I, I mean, who knows? Uh, it, do you think there's any chance that he signs that extension, or do you think he just waits it out? Yeah, I mean, they'll offer the the maximum they can, and once the season starts, he can't sign it, right? Because he'd have multiple years left. So it's like a small window where it's even something he could consider. So it's very. I think it'd be really easy for him to go. Well, I wanted to see what our new team looks like. Blah blah blah. And every, you know, everybody will have to buy it. But you know, I don't. I don't think he does. And especially because the cap will be so much higher by the time he's a free agent that a max mm. extension just isn't even worth it. Just get on the market and get whatever that will be at the time, sixty million a year or something, and run that way. I mean, it just financially, it doesn't make really a lot of sense. I, I'd have to chug the plug the numbers in. But yeah, I, don't, I think there's no way. Given that he could, as we've seen other stars do, request a trade, maybe it behooves him to take that extension. I mean, again, with the maybe threat so. of injury and everything else. I, I, I don't know. I'm I just uh, wildly speculating here. But uh, it just seems like, well, if, if ESPN is going to wildly speculate about trading him now, which I, I can we just can we just both brush that off then as utterly ridiculous? Like, I, no, I, way. I, mean, I would never do that as the Cavs. I would never do it. I get, I I get why it's something that would cross their mind. I don't think it's something they would ever do. How about that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's uh, the late summer doldrums of NBA content, and you're looking <laughs> for anything to put out there that might be incendiary enough to get people to plug in and listen to your show. But in any case, sorry, ESPN, you were dead wrong in that. But uh, was Austin Rivers dead wrong when he criticized the CBA and his thoughts on the Dame Lillard trade request? We'll talk about that in the next segment. But before we do that, just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball and FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks, and you land $200 in bonus bets whether you win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend betting on everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to win, hit the first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. And when you win, you get paid instantly. Who doesn't love that? So there's no better place to place a bet now, on Major League Baseball, that FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on, and you get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. for making Locked on NBA your first listen today and every single day. For more on the Cavs, check out Locked on Cavs, who I would assume would also be talking about this at some point in the coming week. It'll be a big topic in the Cleveland market. Speaking of not Cleveland, but this is sort of related to what you asked me at the end about thinking about trading your star players. Austin Rivers hmm. has lots of thoughts about the state of the league. He's not on a team right now, correct? Or is he on no, the Timberwolves? He's a free still? agent. Still okay. a free agent. He's a good player. Uh, he's a good free agent. I don't know if he'll end up on a team this year or not. He had some stuff to say uh, about Damian Lillard uh, and the new CBA. And he well, should we start with Dame? That is what people are are more interested in, I believe. Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. He is among the crew that is the honor the contract crew. You signed it. You're not a free agent. You don't get to pick where you want to go. He said, if you were a free agent, then you could choose where you want to go. Then he said, this started with James 
referring to James Harden, and Ben referring to Ben Simmons, and all these guys doing this, requesting a trade to a specific spot. It's bad for the league. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Regardless of Dame specifically, we'll get to Dame specifically, I kind of agree that the trade to a specific spot thing sucks for fans. I do think that sucks when they're not free agents. I think there is an element to honoring the contract. That said, I Dame is totally allowed to go where he wants. The Blazers are allowed to listen to the best offer they want. The Heat are allowed to lowball the F out of the Blazers until they get that what they want. Like everyone's doing what they should do in this situation. I just also think that in, in every case, even preceding Dame and in the future, it does kind of suck for fans. I think he's right about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I maybe it's just my my uh, older perspective, uh, you know, in on ter- in terms of basketball. I've been seeing this for a lot longer uh, than most NBA fans, right? And I just it's been happening for a lot longer than Austin Rivers is even born. Like players have been stuck in bad situations before they had that freedom. They held out. They made it, you know. W- they made it known to their front offices, their coaches, their general managers that they wanted to trade. And those trades were formulated. We just didn't have the benefit benefit or the curse of having Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharania and other newsbreakers being on social media and, and telling us about these requests months before they happened. And, and then, you know, every last detail, et cetera. It, a trade happened and you didn't realize. And then later on, they were like, you know what? I was happy to leave that situation. I wasn't getting the kind of playing time. You played it very diplomatically via the regular media outlets, and and it played on, and, and it was okay. Like, you know, I covered the Heat, obviously. And I, before that, I grew up in Miami. I was a longtime Heat fan. Alonzo Mourning, you know, was traded from the the New Jersey Nets to the Toronto Raptors. What did he do? He said, "Screw this! I don't want to be a goddamn Raptor because the Raptors suck." You know, I joined the Nets and left the Heat. Because the Nets were a contender at that time. They had just been to the finals a couple of times, and he thought he could contribute when he was straight to Toronto. He was like, nope, no thanks. So they bought him out. And what did he do? He went and signed with Miami at that point in time. Like, that's an example that I can think of that happened in 2005. You know, that this, it's been happening for a, a long enough time where I, I shame on Austin Rivers uh, for, for suggesting that it's just a recent thing in, in terms of players requesting trades or, or, or hoping to steer in what direction or where they wind up playing for. So to me, I, I'm okay with players having that kind of freedom or the the right to decide when they want to or where they want to play. In Dame's case, look, you know, the organization went in a different direction. They zagged when they should have zigged. And he, yes, a lot of people are saying, well, you shouldn't have signed the extension. Well, when he signed the extension, he thought that his goals to make money and to win a championship aligned with the organizations, which was, presumably to win a championship it did not and so they wound up trading away good players this past season josh hart and others uh they wound up going into a full-scale rebuild they basically drafted his replacement in scoot henderson what is he supposed to do like we've had this conversation many times i just don't get it at this point uh why there's and, and as far as austin river's perspective i gotta say I'm smelling a lot of sour grapes over here at that nobody's offering him a contract and that he's never had the power to dictate what organization he could choose to play for. Like I, I I am very, very surprised because we hear all the time about players, you know, the brotherhood, you never go get your money, go get whatever makes you happy. You rarely criticize anybody within this very limited fraternity of NBA players. And I'm a little surprised to see rivers, not necessarily criticize Dane. Like he says it himself. He's like, I've got nothing but respect for Dane, but he just thinks it's bad for the league. And I think that is so wildly overstated. It's just something that we're as fans 
and as media members going to have to get used to because it's a, a different evolution of something that's been going on for decades. Well, it's interesting now, too, because I think it was your co-host, David Romero, who actually got me on this, like a significant number of the recent like star trades and demands you think of in oh, the right. last half decade. It's like three guys just doing it over and over again, yeah. which I didn't that's even realize. Hard heard and, yeah. List, it was, yeah, it was Kyrie, Kevin and, and James. And I saw it listed right. out and I thought, wow, that is, I mean, there's been more certainly, but that is a significant percentage of them. And you're right. It predates the guys. He said he was wrong about that. Like even Kobe famously was like, I don't want to be with the Lakers anymore. Right. That didn't right. obviously go anywhere. And yeah, players are allowed to play somewhere else. What I don't, and I don't think this is going to happen with them. I don't think this will happen with Harden either, but this is just a prediction. Like, I don't think it's right when, when they don't get what they want, they don't show up and honor the deal that they have. I think that is a step too far. Cause then like, what's the point of the contracts anyway? But yeah, I think players are allowed to say what they want and request things. And I get what Austin Rivers is saying, especially from a fan attachment perspective, what that means for the league. Uh, he called being in the NBA a privilege, but um, I, I again the, the the thing I have always said about this, especially this Dame Miami situation, is like everyone is acting in their best interest, so no one is wrong. Sure. It's just how sure. you interpret it is, or how you feel about the situation that is wrong. But like, yeah, yeah, you laid it out. Like the Portland Dame were in lockstep until they weren't, and then that you know that changes everything. And you you hear about that with college a lot, right? Guys go in the transfer portal because their coach left, right? That's a right. very, very different lower, not lower stakes necessarily, but this is a different scenario, but similar in terms of changing dynamics leading to what the case is. Rivers went on to go a step further here and um, talked about the new CBA, mm. uh, talking about it being more favorable to certain players, but only the actual top of the league. He said something to the effect of everybody's making $50 million or $2 million. And some of that is what we talked about just a second ago, where free agency is just way less common now, right? Guys get to their favorite situation earlier because teams trade guys before they leave for nothing. And so they're on a team that they want to be on or a team that has the resources to extend them or resign them. Like like Fred Van Vliet is a one-time all-star. Him switching teams is very rare in the, in the last five years of the NBA, really, as kind of players and agents and teams have figured out how this works better for them. So... It has shifted in a way that does make it so guys who are paid big money aren't free agents as much and teams can dance around over the cap and get what they want and all that. And there are still mid-market contracts. I think it's less extreme than what he's saying. Certainly, I get why the new CBA might enhance that a little bit from his perspective, especially because, you know, if you have three stars like the Suns, you're going to have no mid-market guys. You just can't afford it. But for most teams that aren't rubbing up or over the second apron, there are ways to get those mid-salary players, especially if you're under the new floor because you have to hit it, and then you get teams like the Rockets and the Pacers who, you know, give Bruce Brown big money or give Jeff Green and Ben Vliet and Dylan Brooks and Jock Landale money, and I'm ranting, but you get what I'm saying is I think right now it's going to look that way a little bit because the new CBA impacted the old structure of the league, but as it kind of trickles in and yes. all this stuff kind of hits everybody equally and it's in full effect – it will look more leveled out for the, this is not the right term, but the middle class of players to, to for a term in the NBA, it'll, it'll even out eventually. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think you, you stated that perfectly. Like we, we kind of become very reactionary to things as they're immediately happening. It's like, Oh, this, this feels weird. Like, I, I mean, my, my co-host even posited 
that free agency is boring now. And I, I again, I tend to disagree. I, I think it all ties together. Yeah, maybe free agency per se in a bubble, in a vacuum is boring because there aren't a lot of free agency, but it's all part of the transactional nature of the league. Like these trades happen, these trade requests happen, extensions happen. That's all part of if, if fans are looking for a fix in terms of the transactional type aspect of the NBA, I think that certainly exists. It's just not perhaps the same that it once was, but it'll eventually, like you said, it'll even out. Players will figure it out. Agents will figure it out. They'll understand how to manipulate the system for their benefit because that's just what they've always done. So I, I think you nailed it right on the head. And many around the league have kind of speculated that, hey, with these new aprons, teams might have to like get hard negotiating with these stars and, Lo and behold, that will eventually trickle money elsewhere. If that does become the case and there's more favorable extension rules so guys can be where they want, like it, it should all work itself out as like we just, it's a new structure imp impacting old contracts. Like it will right. eventually balance out as we saw in 2016, when if you just happen to get lucky and be a free agent that summer, your life was changed in a way that it maybe was That's right. The most famous one. Certainly being Team of Fame Mozgov, among many just ridiculous <laughs> contracts that summer. Um, good. In general, I like when players share their perspective on this stuff, so I'd encourage people to listen to what Austin Rivers had to say, okay. even if you don't agree with him. Uh, lots of, like, random little interesting news bits around the NBA the last couple of days, David Rommel. There's a new owner in Charlotte. What? MJ. Not the majority owner anymore, plus some little trade tidbits from Mark Stein. Mr. Insider himself will cover all that to close out today's show. And everybody for making Lockdown NBA your first listen today and every single day. For more on Damian Lillard, I don't know what show is easier to promote for this, Lockdown Heat or Lockdown Blazers to get both sides. Always, of always Lockdown Heat to get that incredible <laughs> perspective. Why Tyler Hero is a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> One of those two shows can give you the latest on where that stands, if anything has really changed and where it could be headed. It's almost August. I don't see it personally ending anytime soon, but oh. I obviously do not work for the Blazers or the Heat. Uh, David would, of course, know more on that. Let's close this out with some newsy updates. The big one, although the less impactful one for actual basketball, is Michael Jordan is no longer the majority owner of the Hornets. It doesn't sound like he sold all of his stake of the Hornets, but he's no longer the managing leader of Charlotte. Funnily enough, 29 to 1 vote from the other owners with James Dolan giving it a no, which is pretty funny. No reason given for that, but had to laugh. So now Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall are the owners. Schnall uh, used to be a part of the Hawks ownership group. Uh, there's this rep the Hornets have around the league for being pretty stingy. Uh, their GM and head coach have, I believe this has been reported, one year left on their deals right now. They are clearly in a kind of a state of flux. They just had the number two pick, but just also gave their all-star point guard $260 million. I don't know what's coming next for them. They're in a confusing spot to me in general. But I think if they get owners who are even slightly more aggressive or more normal even, <laughs> spenders, it'd be great for the franchise. They've needed a 
I mean, and since Kemba left, they've just been stuck where they are. So I know that I Frank Kaminsky pick should have been the one. Like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> what did they turn down for that? Like three firsts or something was the report from the Celtics? Yeah, I think so. It might have been as, even higher than that. So, I, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a shame uh, that Jordan couldn't um, have a more lasting impact because you always want to see like the former players get back yeah. into ownership and be like, oh, these, these are proven successes in both aspects. It just didn't work out that way. But I'm, I, I agree with you 100 percent. Like anything that give that team just a sense of direction that has just not been visible yep. over the last couple of seasons, you know, to give them an identity again. It's the worst when there's a team, even if they're just pretty good like i know the wheel of mediocrity is something that people don't want to get stuck on hence the process and everything else but by the same token it's like you just don't want to be a, a basement dweller for what has it been a, a decade like when was the last time they made the playoffs it, it they had that like- seven game series with the heat i believe uh when yeah. kemba was leading the show that was eight years ago now seven years ago and then they didn't even pay kemba they he walked yeah. that summer or not that summer but soon after so that was their last really solid team, right? That was like a 48-win group. I, I think you probably remember that series better. But that was yeah, like, it was. Doom was there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeremy Lin. They were like, it was the, a three-way yeah. tie between the third through fifth seeds, I think it was. And so, or fourth through sixth or something like that. I can't remember yeah. exactly what it was. Anyway, yeah, they, they, just, they just haven't been good. And like, I, I, I personally am not a believer in LaMelo. I, I, I don't know that he's going to be that kind of transcendent star that they're going to pay him to be like that. But at the same time, if you're already under contract and you and you do believe in him, and it seems like the Hornets, as a franchise, does, then uh, surrounding him with the right type of players and hopefully this yes. ownership group <laughs> can't have a much clearer vision. I, you know, I love Steve Clifford. I think he's a great person. I don't know that he's the greatest coach in terms of like being able to get them to reach that next level, but at least for managing these personalities over the next year or two, he's adequate at that. And so that's why he's got the job. I think Steve Clifford is a great coach, but maybe not for a young Hornets team is what I think. But we'll see what the new owners think. They'll probably decide within uh, the next year because they have to, (laughs) given how the reporting suggests. Do we have to do the legacy thing with MJ? Is that a joke conversation at this point? It doesn't matter to me, but I don't know Uh, people think about that stuff. I I, I don't think anybody's going to remember. Maybe younger fans will, oh, you mean the owner of the Hornets? But I I can't. (laughs) I can't imagine that being a serious yeah. conversational point. That's yeah, I on. can't either. And good for him. He can go play golf now and still make money from the Hornets because the league is just gambling, gambling as much as he wants to on any <laughs> golf. Over it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. In terms of transactional stuff around the league that does impact basketball a little more, uh, this was reported by a few people. Jake Fisher being the first. I only know this because I cover one of the teams involved uh, out in Vegas. Uh, that was the Suns' interest in T.J. McConnell. Mark Stein of the Stein Line once again reporting earlier today. The Suns remain interested in trading for Indiana's T.J. McConnell. Um, he also adds that he doesn't, he said, doesn't mean, however, that a deal will happen. And he said, word is McConnell, furthermore, is hopeful of staying with the Pacers. Pacers might not even have a spot for McConnell in the rotation, given how their offseason Ooh. has gone. But... The easiest way for this trade to get done was uh, campaign salary being involved, and campaign is no longer a salary that the Phoenix Suns have to trade. So they can want TJ McConnell all they want, but this seems very impossible until some portion of the season has passed or the Suns can do more things that the CBA doesn't let them. So um, unless another team trades with TJ McConnell, it seems like he will be getting his wish of remaining with the team. Any thoughts on any of that? Because I do think he would be pretty good for what the Suns need right now. 
Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it'd certainly be beneficial there. I, I'm a big McConnell fan. I, I like his minutes. I know he's got his weaknesses, as every NBA player does. But uh, at the same time, I think he's usually impactful. Obviously, you could speak to this much more effectively than I do. But how much is he making this year? I don't even really know. $8.7 million. Okay. So near that, the top you know, end of backup point guards. But he's about that player, I would say. I mean, Miami needs a backup point guard right now. I mean, <laughs> Hell, they need a starting point guard right now, but uh, I guess they're probably looking to get one from Portland, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, it, yeah, he's, he's got a close relationship with Jimmy Butler, you know? I mean, this he is does, how those small true. markets This is how those small markets get screwed over there, Tony. I mean, if, if TJ McConnell trades become a talking point about the NBA landscape uh, being screwed, I think we've got too right. far. That's right. The, the thing, superstar the player... The thing for the Pacers is, even if they shift their team around and Andrew Nemhard becomes their backup point guard and McConnell's out of the rotation, they lost George Hill and James Johnson as of now. Like, they need a vet on their team still, and McConnell is far and away the best Ooh. one remaining from their team last year. And as, as much as they would like to be better, they are still a pretty young group. So I do think he has a lot of value to the Pacers specifically. They traded Duarte too, didn't they? They did. Yes, they did. The but, Kings? I mean, they, they – Matherin, Heald, Bruce Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Tyrese Halburn, and Andrew Nemhard all getting minutes. It's it's hard to get everybody in there. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> That's the argument for something minor happening with the Pacers. But he's a valuable vet, and that matters. And his contract's not fully guaranteed next year. So teams are like, ooh, that's exciting. Um, either way, we'll see where that ends up. But at this point in the summer and the Sun situation, they specifically seem extremely difficult. The other one that he reported in the transactional front was about the Detroit Pistons and Dallas Mavericks. He said, recent talks between the two teams, I'm told, were sparked by the Pistons' determination to ease a backcourt logjam by trading Killian Hayes and gained little traction. While the Mavericks are indeed among the teams with a longstanding interest in acquiring Boyan Bogdanovich, their trade party at this point of the offseason is still believed to be an upgraded center. That makes a lot of sense. They have a lot of young guys or like meh vets at center, but the Pistons... Moving off of a former top 10 pick because of a log jam is interesting. Trading Boyan makes a lot of sense in their spot, but I, they're in a unique spot with the way they've drafted, the way they've kind of set up their team, and the Mavs do need stuff. So I get why they'd be trade partners, but it's also kind of a hard trade to construct. Do you think it would be the right trade for the Mavs? Would it put them in not necessarily contention? I just, I'm not sure. You know, the thing is, for me, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, it's so hard to predict exactly what's going to happen with them this season. I think the biggest X factor. And the NBA is got to be Kyrie Irving. Like it's just we have no idea of knowing exactly what version of Irving is going to be there next year. And that being the case, like it just seems like it, it's so uh, volatile, right? That combination of players and personalities and and what they need there. And Jason Kidd is a <laughs> a, a problematic uh, entity there. So I I don't know. It's just I, I I'd like to trade. It seems like it makes sense on paper for Dallas. And at the same time, I remain unconvinced that it might be just enough for them to become an elite level team. I get why Killian Hayes would be the odd man out in Detroit, but as we speak, I only can say that because his birthday is in three days, but as we speak, he's 21. Like he's still young and it showed some stuff last year and was a top, mm. like you, you eventually your draft pick doesn't matter, but like he hasn't stunk. So I, I it, you know, he has to have some value, but they just drafted Marcus Sasser. They've got Osar Thompson, Jaden Ivey, Alec Burks, Cade Cunningham, Monte Morris, and they've, they've got guys who can handle the ball. So they don't need Killian Hayes. And trading Bojan, who's 34 now, when you're a team like the Pistons, like I get why this all would add up. But what? I mean, the Mavs have nothing to trade. They've given away all their assets and other deals. So I don't know how this one makes a ton of sense unless someone loves Tim Hardaway Jr. and can make this happen. But certainly something to keep an eye on, I suppose, is both 
team's registered interest here, I guess, but doesn't seem like something that will happen imminently. Right. Yeah. Just a reminder: is all talks like this happen all the time, where they're picked yes. up, they're kind of shelved, and then they picked up again, and then you know, eventually they just wind up never culminating. So I, I can't see this being finalized. But it, it, they need to do something. The like Pistons do in order to release some of this glut, because it seems like they have like players at either two positions, either is guards heavy or bigs heavy, and nowhere in between. Like that's somewhat problematic. Although I guess Kate Cunningham, uh, Team USA's Kate, Kate Cunningham, and his eventual <laughs> return. Uh, could be a difference maker for Detroit. Let's see how that plays out. Team USA talk on last Friday's Lockdown NBA, if you're interested in that. And tomorrow, you can hear the latest and greatest around the league with John Corrales and Jake Madison, as you do here on Lockdown NBA. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, as usual. David back next week with Matt Moore, who's currently out enjoying himself. Good for Matt. Thank you all for listening today. Have a fantastic rest of your day. See you soon. Mm -hmm.